Hello, and welcome to Profiles, the program that introduces to WFIU listeners interesting people from Indiana, the United States, and the world. I'm Owen Johnson. Our guest today is Felicia Leggett-Jack, Indiana University women's basketball coach, now in her fourth year in Bloomington. Coach, welcome to Profiles. Thank you so much for having me. I'm told you had a life before basketball. What were you interested in in those days? Before basketball, I, I just was that kid that kind of hung out with her friends. Uh, you find me a lot reading in the corner. Uh, I love reading. I love hanging out with my family. Uh, we are a very silly, legit side of our family, and we tell jokes often. And uh, we all kind of hibernated in that same little city of Syracuse, New York, and, and really enjoyed each other. What got you interested in basketball? My brothers, you know, I, I walk with my head down uh, uh, till the 10th grade. And I was a very shy person, and I'm still quite shy. Uh, but in this job, you have to speak up and, and be uh, diligent in, in your uh, pursuit of greatness. But uh, my brother's like, why, why don't you do something with yourself? And I saw what he did. And he and my oldest brother, uh, Lonnie, they played basketball, and they seemed to have such freedom on that court. And I picked up the ball, and I, you know, I was gifted from the beginning. And it kind of made me feel like, you know, in that moment, I felt free. I felt like I can kind of see the world from, from a different perspective. And uh, as I um, continued to play basketball, it gave me confidence. So my brothers were the ones that, even though they kind of regret it because they were better than me, but I went further than them <laughs> in the game. <laughs> and they didn't give you any any uh, bad time saying, oh, a girl can't play basketball, nothing like that? No, they didn't do that, you know, because they believed that once uh, they never felt girl or boy, but me being their baby sister, they never felt that I was ever good enough. Uh, it was always more and more and more that they wanted. And I, I play at Syracuse University at Manlyfield House, and my brothers sit there and he critiqued my game, and I got MVP of the game. And he was like, you know you could have done this, and you could have done that. And so, you know, they helped me become better because I was never at that perfection stage when it came to those guys, and I thanked them for it. You played at Nottingham High School in Syracuse. It had a uh, coach by the name of Willetta Spies who is uh, very famous in Syracuse. I think I looked up a record, and it was something like 492 wins and 40 losses, five state championships. You must have learned a lot from her. I did. Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, she saw something in me that I certainly didn't see in myself because at that time I was still very shy. And she asked me to, to try out for her varsity team. I was very, very uh, afraid to, to challenge myself with that type of talent. But I made the team. I became a starter. She took me under her tutelage and uh, she was like a second mom to me. And I became something really significant in the community because she promoted me like I was this amazing person. And through her her uh, ability to say good things about me, I started believing them. You know, you know, coaches can speak life into kids or they can speak bad into kids. Thank the Lord that Muleta Speaks spoke, you know, life into me. And I became uh, what she kept continuing to tell the community. I was going to be this this the best player that ever came through uh, Syracuse, and I'm going to be a star. If you guys haven't seen her yet, you got to go see her. And she learned how helped me learn how to deal with uh, the, the audience as well. You know, people that join you when you become something important. 
And uh, she always taught us that academics has to be before basketball because when even though we're going to do some amazing things through the basketball, if you start believing that's all you have, then you're going to be finished with your life by 23 uh, after college is over. So I took that um, education thing very seriously from her and from my mom. And uh, I kind of, that's a great name that you brought up. I haven't mentioned her name in a while. And she certainly is a person that, that helped form my foundation. You yourself, I think, were a member of two of the state championship teams. What do those titles mean to you? Well, we got to the last dance uh, our first year. They didn't have state championships my eighth grade year, but we went to the, our, our last game that we could possibly play. I just expect to win, and she expected to win. She expected to win in practice. She expected us to win in the classroom. So when the ball went in the air, we expected to win. It got to a point where there are four divisions, the A divisions, depending on the size of school you have, and there was a B division, which was um, – what Nottingham was in. And so we won our state, and the A team won their states, and uh, that's a team based out of New York. Well, we wanted to go play them because we wanted to beat everybody that was somebody, and not just because um, we thought that uh, we were better than anybody else. We just wanted to compete to see how good we can become. What What drove you as a player? You know, I, I just never played the game, really, for the game's sake. You know, um, growing up from a single-parent family with my uh, mom who raised five children, we would just believe that, you know, if we have breath in our body, that we can become something uh, significant. So I played for other reasons. I played for my God. We're a very uh, spiritual family. We believe that the Lord has guided us this, this far. We play, play for my family, and I play for me. And then Nottingham and Syracuse and whomever else uh, have an opportunity to, to work with me is going to get the residuals of those three things. And um, so that's what dro- drove me. My, you know, our family was so uh, tightly woven together, and we certainly didn't want anybody to fail. And if I had an opportunity to kind of showcase myself as a basketball player, it was my opportunity to kind of let people see who the Leggettes were. You grow up in Syracuse. Syracuse University is right there. Was that always your dream in high school to play for Syracuse, or did you think about leaving home? Um, I was never going to leave my mom. <laughs> I I was a, the baby of the family of five, and uh, certainly a few schools recruited me, um, and I went to see those schools uh, uh, because Coach uh, Spies, well, she never let us call her coach. It was just Miss Spies. Miss Spies said, you know, you've earned the opportunity to at least to see these particular universities, and we went out to see Virginia, uh, and Gino Ariema was the assistant coach at the time there, and he's now the head coach at UConn. We went out to Iowa to see uh, that particular university because Vivian Stringer was an African-American head coach, and she's done so such an amazing job at Cheney State. And we felt that she could be a great role model for me, not through basketball, but all through, also through life. And then there was a place called Syracuse where my mom lived. And I said, you know what? This is a great place for a lot of reasons. One, because I can be close to my family, but also there was no um, there was no uh, history in women's basketball there, and I could be a part of something that grow a, a women's basketball program, and my name could be uh, intertwined with uh, the success that we're gonna have. It's not a choice whether if we're gonna have it, we're going to have success. That was our mindset. Uh, at the end of the day, I just said this is the best place for me. Well, you certainly made a splash uh, right from the beginning. Uh, first year, your uh, Big Ten or Big Big East freshman of of the year. Uh, were you surprised? Did it come easy? 
You know what? I work really hard, and I, I always believe that, you know, if somebody's going to run the mile and a half and there's a post time and a guard time, I want it to be in the fastest time. Uh, if there's a, a drill that needs to be done and it wasn't getting done correctly, I want to be the person to help it become something that was correct. And when we went out and played uh, our freshman year, I even went to the point to the place where they, I was playing a three guard and I wasn't the best at that position. And I was willing to sit the bench to let others step in and because I just wanted to win, even at the sacrifice of me. And my coach put me at the four spot and uh, allowed me to play that particular year. And we won the Big East uh, championship. We got in a position uh, to play in the regular season, and we, we did a great job. And I got rookie of the year. And uh, my coach said, Stay humble, and when you speak, and, you know, I wasn't the best speaker, but I had this faith. And I said, my mom always taught me to speak the truth. And as I thanked all the people that helped me get to that position, I told the audience that we're going to win the Big East Championship. And my coach was like, no, no, don't <laughs> say that. But I really believed that. I believed that no one. we were playing at our home. No one should be able to come to our home at Manly Fieldhouse and beat us. And so if I had any say in this, we were going to win the Big East a championship, and we proceeded to do that on a last-second uh, shot by Jadine Day, our senior point guard. And what she said is she said, I breathed life into her. She said, you know, we thought we were good, but when you said that, we felt like we had to back you because you carried us so much. It was our time to take over and carry you since it was going to be our last uh, go-around. So, you know, not cocky, very humble, uh, but, you know, when you believe something, you got to speak it through your mouth, and then hopefully it can become your reality. But I understand you were somewhat rambunctious too, have a kind of fun-loving player with your teammates. Is that right? Oh, you got to have fun. <laughs> it comes from the Leggett family. Everything is always uh, enjoyable. You know, when I see a kid down, I'm always the one that, you know, would do the silly things, hide behind the corner and scare her. Like she's not having enough problems. And here is this six-foot kid on her knees and saying, and trying to grab her ankle just to get her out of her thought process and I was the one that kind of brought the team together. If I see a teammate doing something that, that wasn't beneficial to our program, I was the one to say, that's not what we do. This is not our way. And they kind of gravitated towards that. It takes a lot of courage to, to stand for something bigger than yourself. And I certainly didn't go to Syracuse to be friends with anybody. I was there to win championships and get a great degree. But in the meantime, we're gonna have, we can have some fun if you guys allow it to, to happen. And so uh, we, we did have a good time. You, you majored in child and family studies and psychology. Why those subjects? Well, I went to uh, college to major in business because my brother said, you know what, you're going to go to Syracuse University. You're going uh, to get this degree. You're going to be a great basketball player. You're going to earn a lot of money, but you've got to be able to manage it. I hate math. <laughs> and so I get there, I'm like in this class thinking like, why did Ronnie get me into this? Well, I allowed him to continue to lead me even in um, in college. And so I realized that wasn't my dream. And, of course, I go back to my brothers, and, and they said, well, speech communication, you're going to have to learn how to articulate your thoughts. And, well, of course, I still had that shy stuff in my body, and I certainly didn't want to be speaking unnecessarily. And But through those majors that I did decide to major in, I took some electives, and psychology was something I really, uh, I really felt comfortable with because I love – People, I love to understand how people become who they are and why they think what they think and how can I help them feel more empowered. And I love the dynamics of my Leggett family uh, to the point where I wanted to help others 
uh, have that kind of uh, close-knit, if you will. And I felt like by understanding different dynamics of family that I can help other families become something like ours. You, you mentioned um, earlier about building a, a women's basketball tradition at Syracuse. You sort of caught the wave of Title IX, didn't you? I don't know what we call it. I just know that we uh, enjoyed our moment, you know. And, and when we left that university, they remembered our names. And, um, you know, in, in retrospect, I assume that, you know, I look at my college coach, Barbara Jacobs, and I thought she was just an amazing coach. And I thought that she was always so tired and so angry and so mad unnecessarily. But the fight that she had to go through in order to just to make – us have opportunities to travel, to to have court time, to uh, just be a part of that university was extreme. And, I, and I, I look back now and say, I wish I would have known I would have, you know, been a, a stronger voice in the community because they kind of listened a little bit more to the players back then than the, than the coaches. You know, she retired uh, making probably, I think, $40,000 as a, as the head coach of our, our women's basketball program, I mean, we uh, take our uniforms off and she'd do our laundry. And I'm like, well, we have an equipment room. Why is she? And she never complained. She just allowed us to become. And I, I that's why my fight is so um, important now. I don't know what um, our disadvantages are here in Indiana, <clears throat> but they understand that uh, I do recognize Title IX and I do understand that there's something that you must give to us, but we also walk in, in the path that we are going to help ourselves become as well. So, it, yeah, I guess it was a, a situation of Title IX, but she kept us so away from that stuff that all we had to do was go out there and do well in academics and uh, play the game of basketball. And you and you were um, very successful in basketball when you left. You were both the leading scorer and leading rebounder. I think you're still number one in rebounding, if I'm not mistaken. Which was more important to you, the scoring or the rebounding? Rebounding. Why? I, I just thought that, you know, effort gets the rebounds. Anybody can put the ball in the hole, you know, get the ball and shoot it. If you're a point guard, you don't have to pass it. If you're a three guard, you get the first pass. You can just kind of chuck it up and those balls can go in. I, I just think that you know, the story of, of my life and our family's life is that we have to earn everything we've gotten. No one's given that lady named Cellula get an opportunity coming from, you know, welfare to working two jobs to walking us to our babysitters uh, and before 6 a.m. before she had to be at work. That took a lot of effort. And we be, we were healthy enough. We stayed out of trouble. And so it's a microcosm of life. And I, that's how I looked at the game. If I go and earn it, then I deserve it. Anybody can score the bucket because, in my opinion, but to go and get the rebound and, and, and be the best that ever come through a university still at 43 years old, September 4th, <laughs> I, I really have a lot of pride in that. When did you come to the idea that you might want to go into coaching? You know what? I, I really thought about being a coach because Miss Speece was a person that I just held in high regard. I mean, she was a mother. She was a wife. She was a coach. She seemed to have time for everybody, and including her two dogs. I mean, she made it look good, and I wanted to be like her. And um, and that kind of, like, you know, that's kind of silly. Grow up. And then I kind of just kind of went through college saying, you know, I just want to be a professional basketball player. And then there was no pro 
professional um, basketball here in the United States at the time. And then I blew my knee out my senior year. And I, I was a prior person that played 38 minutes a game. I never saw the game from a coach's perspective. I was a player. I stayed on that court. When I sat down and saw it through the coach's eyes, I said, this is a very difficult position. You have to try to make everybody happy. You got to have to put the right players out at the right time. You got to mesh them. You got to, you know, you got to know when to call a timeout. You got to know when to let them flow. flow. This is intriguing. The power of the mind, that psychological background that I I love to um, think I have. And I said, this will be a perfect fit for me. One thing I have to ask before um, we leave your career at, at Syracuse, there was a men's team there when you were there, and they played a team called Indiana in the national championship. <laughs> Do you have any memories of that? I absolutely have memories. I had all the people, like the uh, men's basketball team, our team, the volleyball team. I had the big party at my house because we were going to beat Indiana, and we were excited. We had televisions. We had three televisions in my little apartment because back at, in Syracuse, they had apartment living right on campus. And uh, my roommate and I had a three-bedroom apartment, and it was just two of us. So we had all this space. And it's like, Felicia, your house will be perfect because we're going to win. <laughs> we had a, I'm sorry. It was the um, football team, not the men's basketball team, obviously, was playing. And so we were excited because we just beat uh, – uh, I forgot who we beat. It didn't matter because we were supposed to win. But here's this Indiana team and this Bobby Knight guy. That game ended, I swear, it just took the life out of us. They were like, they're not supposed to beat Syracuse. No one is. And then I guess if you can't beat them, you you have to join them. And uh, Keith Smart guy, I still owe him an opportunity of a a finger in the face at least. <laughs> you Your first step in coaching was in, was in high school right yeah. there in Syracuse. How did you get that job? You know, there's no coincidences in life. I went to speak. Uh, I, I did a lot of speaking engagements as a uh, college student, and I spoke at uh, the West Hill um, fundraiser. And uh, this young lady that was in this uh, audience, her name was Amy Russo, and she said that, you know, Coach, thank you for coming here and speaking, but we're going to lose our coach. We went to four state championships in a row. Five seniors have uh, um, have graduated, and, uh, you know, when you graduate, after this year, it will be my first, my only year without a coach, and I'll be a senior. And I'd love for you to be a part of my life because I just like the way you talk. I'm like, West Hill, or yeah, okay, thank you, kid, you know, sure. And uh, it came came to pass, you know. I, that was, she went and, and she did the work. She went to talk with the AD. I wasn't, obviously, in the school system coming out of um College. I worked for the child. Um, I worked for the Syracuse Housing Authority where I grew up, and I worked for the house um, housing people in uh, underprivileged homes, and that didn't connect with being a, a a high school coach. Well, this young lady did all the work, and she talked to the AD. She went to all of the parents in the area. Nobody wanted the job, first of all, hmm. because you know these young ladies, you know, four state champions. Every senior left is a big rebuilding year, and she done all that. I said, you know, at least I can at least go and interview. And I interviewed for the job, and they told me the things I had to do. I had to take the first aid course, and uh, they usually give them to teachers on the school. But nobody wanted the job. 
You know, that's kind of how I get all my jobs. Nobody really want them. <laughs> and we did, um, took the job, and we done some fun things. And uh, for two years, I, and after getting that taste in my system, I realized that, you know, I wanted more. And um, I started saving up my nickels and dimes and try to get out to the Final Four to get into, to the next level, the college level. Amy had graduated. We've done our part with her. And uh, before I could uh, get out to the Final Four, Boston College called. And so what did you do at Boston College? You were there two years, I think, right? Yeah, it's another situation where they needed an African-American head coach. And I knew um, the head coach, uh, Marco Plotsky, only through uh, her pl- their team playing against our team. They were in the Big East. And she said one thing she remembered about me is that after every game – I shook her hand and said, great game, whether we won or lost. And she said she's kind of like my personality. Here's the deal. I have two African-American players that are up for uh, official visit, and I want you to come up and convince these young ladies to be a part of our, our team. And if you can do that, you got the job. Well, we, we talk fast. We, you know, you think I'm talking fast now. <laughs> I was like, listen, ladies, I don't know if I want to live in Boston. I just know I want to take that next step. And that certainly uh, would be a, a wonderful step with a, a, a veteran coach. We uh, went there. We, we we won fairly well. But Margo got fired after her second year for reason unbeknownst to me. And uh, that gave me an opportunity to come back home to Syracuse. What? Uh, were your keys to success as an assistant coach? I recruited for the coach. It wasn't about me. You know, a lot of assistant coaches get so involved with the the, the recruitment process, they make it feel like it's about them. Come play for me. I I understood my college coach. I mean, I understood my my boss. What she wanted is what we, we wanted. You know, if she says, this is the way we're going to be today, this is the way we're going to be today. And I I think that every coach that I I worked under understood that I was 100% in their corner. Enthusiasm, you know, and I I did everything with enthusiasm. Fist in the air, we can do this. I don't fake the belief. I truly believe wherever I am, we're going to be successful because it's just not about the game. This is a microcosm of life. And how we perform, how we recruit, how we we'll get when we get together is going to be how we live for the next 75 years. Let's celebrate this moment. And I think that's really worked for me. I want to come back a little bit more to this, this recruiting, but let's pause here now for some music that you've picked out, Victory by Yolanda Adams. Why is this music appealing to you? I love gospel music. You know, a lot of times people just listen to music just to hear the music. My dad was a blues singer. He was really good at it, but it was just so sad. It was just like, I love to hear him sing, but it kind of took the life out of me sometimes. (laughs) I love music that's going to make me feel like, you know, the world is your oyster. It's a matter how you go after it that makes it belong to you. And like that song, Victory, you kind of proclaim the world. It's going to be mine. All I got to do is walk out in faith and believe that I can become, and that is what I become. And and every time I listen to that song, it kind of gets me, what's the word, geeked up, I guess, to believe that today is the day we can beat Purdue. Today is the day that we can, you know, earn this opportunity to convince a kid to come to Indiana. Today is the day we can be great.
That was Victory by Yolanda Adams, music chosen by our guest on Profiles today, IU women's basketball coach Felicia Leggett-Jack. You're listening to Profiles on WFIU. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. In general, why do young women want to play college basketball today? Self-expression, the ability to be free with no barriers. Um, I think that's why women uh, play sports in general. Confidence. It, it, It just gives you an opportunity to be confident if not for a long time, at least for a moment. Again, I I played the game because I was the shyest person you ever want to meet. I was six feet tall in the fifth grade. And every comment came to me was, you're too tall, you look goofy, you're all these derogatory things. And when I played the game of basketball, that gave people an opportunity to see a different side of me. And the comments that came towards me then were very positive. I just think sport in general gives a kid a place to to, to be free and to to earn uh, opportunity to believe that they can become. And if you play it hard enough and long enough, hopefully it could be a part of who you are. Now, if you're recruiting, do you have a certain set of things that you try to persuade? Where does academics fit in? Where does athletics fit in? Where does the university as a whole fit in? Well, we go by the cab approach first. It's not about Indiana at the beginning. It's not about any university at the beginning. It's about our cab approach. When we look at kids, we notice their character first. We watch them lace their shoes up. We watch them interact with their peers. We watch them on the basketball court when it gets tough. We watch them celebrate when they are uh, doing well. And we kind of form what kind of character we want for our institution. And sometimes they're good enough and sometimes they're not good enough. But we certainly know that the character is going to be the first thing we look at. Academics. With our programs, with teams I'm going to be involved with, academics. You don't have to be a 3.0 student. There's going to be kids that we're going to really ask the university, beg them, please let this kid come in. But that kid has to give us 100% commitment to our academics. If you're a 2.5 and you're working at a 2.3 GPA level, that's not good enough. We want you to be the best uh, academic person you can become because we believe the muscle between your ears is the strongest muscle that we have to develop. That is our obligation. And we believe that we can coach basketball. And basketball to us, again, isn't about the game. It's the microcosm of life. And so when we coach kids and we say, box out, we're not caring how many times we say it. It's not our right to not say it because they didn't get the 15th time. It's our obligation to say it if it's on our spirit because the blessing is that we say it. The icing on a cake is if they get it. And I think that seemed to work, the cab approach. And then you got Indiana to sell, the most beautiful campus in the country. 
you went to the Big Ten for the first time at Michigan State. Were you pulled toward the Big Ten specifically, or was it a coaching opportunity? Why did you leave that familiar area of the Big East? Well, we I feel like we're telling the truth, so i got to be honest with you. Um, I was at Syracuse for seven years, and for some reason we could not turn it around. I was not good for Syracuse as an assistant coach. I take that responsibility. We weren't good at Syracuse as a coaching staff. And my thing is, if you're not a part of the solution, then you're a part of the problem. And I really tried to help my institution at Syracuse become something significant again. And it just didn't fit. And I was at my mom's house, and uh, she asked me how I was, I was doing. And I just broke down and cried. I said, Mom, I, I either have to get out of coaching or I have to make a move because it, it simply is not working uh, with me here. And uh, honestly, three days later, Joanne P. McCauley, the head coach at Michigan State, called and said, you know, I, I just took the job. She was at University of Maine. I just took the job at Michigan State, and I'm looking for a recruiting coordinator. And I just love the way you recruit. I love the way you sit in the corner and you focus in on the kids, and it seems like you're, you're studying them like a test. And I need that. Now, this is what I need. I need you to go see the university first because I'm pregnant, and I, I'm, I've taken a job without with sight unseen. Now, this is a lady that I only knew from being on the recruiting trail. I didn't know her personally. She came after me because of what she saw. Again, I don't believe in coincidences. I was ready to leave a place that I think I belong, uh, the game of basketball. So we went to Michigan State, my husband and I, to see if this is a possibility or are we going to change careers well, they were having a celebration, something about they just won a national title for the second time. Tom Izzo came up to me in the middle of his parade and said, we need you to come here because we don't want to just create a tradition of winning national titles here. We want to create a dynasty, and we need our women's basketball to be great, and I understand you're a great recruiter. So I'm taking a second to come tell you, you can't leave here until you tell me you're coming. And that just breathed life back into me. And I had to come because I was supposed to. Recruiting in the Big Ten can be pretty difficult. You've talked about those things that you look at in, in, in young women. What is it like competing against your peers? Uh, I think you helped coach uh, an international basketball team with the head coach from Ohio State and at Michigan State, uh, I guess you weren't competing against him at that point, but you're competing against him now. Is that difficult to do? You know, if I look at it that way, it would be really almost scary, you know. But, you know, it's not about him. It's not about Ohio State. I just think that we're going to get the kids we're supposed to have. I think that people come in your life for a reason, and the ones that come into your life is the ones that you're supposed to coach. We certainly go after the same kids. But there's uh, respect all, fear none kind of mindset. And I believe that the kids that we're supposed to have, we're going to get. We don't lack work ethic. We don't lack desire. And I think that, you know, if you do all the things you're supposed to do, the right kids are going to come uh, to you. But, no, it's not difficult. I don't really see, you know, Foster or Versip at Purdue or uh, Law at Illinois. I see what we're trying to do here at Indiana. And I keep – I'm tunnel vision. I have to stay focused on what we're doing because if I start looking outward, the world gets too big and almost too scary. 
One thing I have to ask, I should have asked this before when you, when you mentioned um, your husband, um, you have almost a reverse of what we used to call the traditional situation where <laughs> he gets the job and she goes along. Um, how important has he been to you in your career? Well, when I started this coaching business, I, I told my mom that I'm never going to be married or, or have children because I was consumed uh, by this opportunity to empower young folk. And I didn't see how a man can understand my my plight. And I certainly didn't understand, didn't think that a gentleman like David Jack would understand because he came from Jamaica. He was on the Jamaican national team. He was the face of athletics. You know, they got this guy Bolt right now that's running all over the, the country. David wasn't on that level, but in his country, he is a really big name. And he came to America to to find his way. So he had to really take a major step down to begin again. Well, he meets this lady named Felicia who really is um, uh, aggressive and different from any woman he's ever dated before. And we certainly didn't want to meet because it was a blind date. And we said, you know, I don't believe in that. You know, I'm a cool chick and he's a cool guy and we certainly don't need each other. Well, honestly, we did. Because I asked God to bring to me a person that didn't really understand what I'm doing, didn't mind my aggressive nature, faithful follower, you know, good ear, <laughs> can help me do this diet thing where, you know, it could become a way of life. And all the things that I asked from God, I didn't even think that it could be possible, even though he's, a, a, he's the spirit that can make all things happen. And when David came into my life, he said, you know, whoever career— take off as a career we follow. And not only did he say that, he walked it, walked it with me. And he is the best dad to our son. He's a, he's half of my philosophy. I think a certain way, and he kind of makes it smoother. And we're perfect for each other. And I just believe that you meet your soulmate in this life. Maybe once, if you're blessed twice, this is a one-time shot. And uh, we, we, I think we got it right. And is your son, does he feel... Pressure to be a good athlete? Um, no, no. We we tell him that if you start something, you have to finish it. That's who we are. That's our the way the Jacks do it. And he's just a kid that loves basketball. He loves uh, baseball, and he picked up the golf uh, club, and he's pretty good at that. And the only disappointment is that he has no desire to play volleyball, and that's the sport my husband plays. But. My husband is a stay-at-home dad, and he helps him and, and mentors him and guides him. And how cool is that, you know? And now my husband's going back to college full-time. So it's interesting to see how uh, they grow because uh, my husband is, uh, is a guy that never, ever met his dad, never saw a picture of his dad. And to see him kind of grow our son into this special kid, if you meet Maceo is his name, I, I think that uh, he'll touch your life in a way that you'll never forget him. He's just a, a real special kid. And I guess I am a mom because <laughs> I think every parent says that about their child. <laughs> when did you decide you were ready for a head coaching job in college? You know what? I was ready in my mind, you know, eight years after I got in the business, you know, and I got turned down left and right by so many universities. And I always looked at it as, you know, they're not ready for me yet. You know, but when my dad passed away, you know, uh, eight years ago, I knew I wanted to get back to to New York. I needed to get closer to my mom. I needed to have my uh, son 
really connect with his grandmother, you know, because that was his only grandparent left. And so I told my boss that there's only two jobs that, that it's open in the state of New York, Albany and Hofstra. And I'm going to be a head coach of one of them. I have set up my mind that I'm just ready and it's going to happen. And when you believe it with everything you have, it's going to come come to pass. Well, Hofstra called first. And uh, speaking of the men's basketball team, Bernie Fine, the men's uh, assistant coach for the last, what, 30 years now, I called him and he's a gentleman that, that always make calls for me. They closed the search, and he got them to at least hear me out. Well, I get there at midnight, the night before my interview. My luggage doesn't show up. I have. Th- I always travel and dress nicely. Thank the Lord because I had the interview in the suit that I wore that night. I had to go out to Wal- Walgreens and get deodorant. And it was just unbelievable. But I never faltered in my in my belief that this is a job I'm going to get. And I I spoke to a committee of eight, 18, 16 to eighteen people. And I, before I walked away, I said to them that you're going to be calling me back and I'm going to be your next head coach. And it came to pass. But that's a tough assignment because Hofstra didn't exactly have a strong basketball tradition. It didn't. And my, um, my college coach, uh, Joanne P. McCauley, my mentor, she cried. She said, do not take that job. It is a death trap. There's, there's no history. They're not going to give anything to the program. Woman, there's... No one stays at those jobs. Do not take that job. I have to. This gets my son back close to my mom. It's it's not something I even can control. This is a must. And um, she supported me. She and uh, my tallest young lady was six foot two, and um, she wanted to be a model, and she just did that because they gave her a scholarship. And we were so small. We won eight games. But we lost seven games by three points. And it was the most challenging thing for my staff and I to go through. And we got through it. And then uh, after that year, Jim Foster uh, hired me to be his assistant for the world team. And we went and uh, went to Croatia and won the gold medal. And I got even more excited about coming back to Hofstra. And that second year, we got coach of the year and we dethroned uh, Old Dominion. And we kind of gave everybody the idea how to beat him, I guess. I think we won by two points. You know, I was committed to being there forever. You know, I I don't look at I need to be at the next step. When I'm in, I'm in. And four years into it, we were ready to go out and really let the world know that we can come from nothing to something significant. And that fourth year, after we completed it, we won 19 games, took Hofstra to the NIT for the first time in the history of the program, and then that's when Rick Greenspan uh, gave me a call and asked to talk to me about Indiana. You've talked about why you went to Hofstra. If Rick Greenspan calls and offers you the job, it means leaving Hofstra yeah. and leaving the family behind. Yeah. Was that a difficult decision? Very, very difficult because those ladies that I recruited to come there, we had to recruit them on the phone because we couldn't afford to go to Canada. To, and those kids really came because of me. But they were ready to fly. And they didn't need me to continue to convince them that they had wings. And after that fourth year, they were ready. And I knew they were going to be great. The foundation was set there. My mom was stronger than ever. 
she certainly didn't need me to be around her to help her feel like she was valued. Uh, and so we, it was time. I wasn't ready. I knew what we were going to do in that fifth year uh, at Hofstra. Rick convinced my husband and me to fly to Indiana to see the team without them seeing me. And I stood up above uh, the, t- the on the court looking down, and I witnessed those young ladies going to a practice all by themselves with the horn. The manager was controlling the clock, and they were really, they're saying, you know what, whether we have a coach or not, we are going to make something happen. And I saw Whitney Thomas and Kim Roberson really kind of pull that team together. I really believe the need for me was in Indiana, not for any kind of big reason. I hate to say it. It wasn't because the beauty of Indiana, the historical place of Indiana. It's those those 14 kids at the time really needed somebody to lead them, and I felt that I was a person. But it's a tough job to come into because they had had uh, – some of them had had Kathy Bennett. Uh, then Sharon Versip had been here for a year. So this was a team that had had changing coaches. I would have been the third coach in three years. It went so fast. You know, I came here on a Monday. I had to go back on Tuesday and tell my Hofstra team that I was going to leave them to become the head coach at Indiana. Wednesday was the press conference, and before the press conference, I had to bring those young ladies uh, together and tell them that I was the one for them. And how do they believe me? You know, everyone says that. This is a stepping stone job. Everybody knows that in their minds. And um, I can only say, you know, I I gave them all a poem. And I don't know who was the author of the poem. It says, uh, come to the edge. We don't want to. Come to the edge. We are afraid. Come to the edge. Come to the edge. They went to the edge, and she pushed them, and they flew. I can only tell you that I'm in it to help you fly. And that, 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 that flying ability could happen a year, two years, three years. We don't have ownership on time. But I know now I'm here, and I'm willing to be with you on this journey. And through that meeting, I think that some of them were convinced that I was the person for them. I was still, you know, overwhelmed by all that was going on in that press conference with uh, over 200 people in the room, and I had to kind of speak out what we were willing to do. And and it kind of worked out where we went after a a tough year with less people that was in that room. Some people just could not do it. And after that, you know, year, we were ready to catch our breath. But Michigan State called again because Joanne P. McCauley took over the Duke job, and she recommended that I be the person that lead Michigan State. And you got two things to do. You can do the easy thing or you can do the right thing. And I share with Rick Greenspan, I'm not certain what you're willing to do to to try to convince me to stay. I just need you to know that I am staying here, and you do what you have to do to make it seem right. And that was our conversation uh, and I just thought that somebody got to lock in. Somebody got to, you know, really mean what they say. Somebody got to breathe life into this organization for as women's basketball is concerned and these kids that that I decided to tell that if I push them, they're going to fly. And it just wasn't time for me to leave them yet. I don't know when that time is ever going to come, but all you really have control of is the moment. Is there a challenge at, at Indiana that has traditionally had – a very strong men's program, five national championships. There was a time when the men practiced at the preferred time and the women 
were were put in wherever wherever they could fit. Um, big crowds to the men's game, women's crowds are increasing, but still have a ways to go. We do have a ways to go, and we're doing all the right things, I think, to try to convince our community that we, too, are a viable option to come and support. Uh, I certainly, I'd, I'd be lying if, if I told you that we don't, we're not disappointed in our, our fan base. It's getting better, though. It really is. And I, I, I look at UConn as my uh, staple, and I look at Duke, and I, and I see men's basketball and women's basketball doing it, getting it done, rising um, uh, to the top uh, in the nation. And I believe that we're going to do that, Tom Crane and I. I think that we will have a great relationship, and I think that he believes in what I'm doing, and I certainly believe in what he's doing. And I think there's a place at the top for the both of us, and I'm going to hold on to that until that day comes to light. You have a new basketball practice facility coming online before long. What difference is that going to make? That's what everybody in the Big Ten already has, you know, and we are finding a way to really make ends meet with half of what everybody else is promoting. And we just stayed true to convincing people about the cab approach in Indiana, but now that we're going to have the same things that they have and it's an equal playing field, oh, it's going to be exciting. You know, I, I look at what Bill uh, Lynch has done uh, this year as opposed to his last couple years. You know, trying to convince these kids to come to Indiana. You know, I know our facility is not that good, but and he just couldn't get the kids. Well, he opened the door to that weight room, and they saw what the facilities looked like. His these kids were born in 1990-plus. They are, what can you show me? What can you give me? They're visual kids. They need to see success. They need to see greatness. They need to see beauty. And now we present that to them. Ten kids come. Ten kids commit to Bill. And that's just the beginning on what's going to happen for volleyball, what's going to happen for baseball, what's going to happen for men's and women's basketball, and all sports that's here. 24 sports, one team is the mantra uh, Fred Glass has here. And with the facilities that he's helping us build here, that one team is going to be fantastic. That's what I was going to ask you next is what difference um, does a new athletic director make when you owed your opportunity here to the previous one? That is still the case. I never walk away from someone that helped me become. And Rick Greenspan and President Herbert uh, will always have an amazing part, piece of my heart. They have given me an opportunity to come to this amazing institution. I am internally grateful uh, for them. Uh, but then, again, you, got, you can't control time. And now the time is for Mr. McRobbie, our president, and uh, Mr. Glass to have an opportunity to become uh, a part of my life and to help me take it to yet another step. And what uh, those gentlemen have done was given us an even platform to uh, to play on. I know Rick Greenspan helped create the, the vision and the buildings were going up. What Fred has done is taken it to yet another level and uh, really got out there and almost like a, a fan uh, to, the, to our sports. And uh, he's given us energy and enthusiasm and uh, he's adding on to our passion that's already been here. So it's a great transition. I am really excited about our future. I know our future leaders are unbelievable and uh, we're in good hands. 
That brings us to the conclusion of this conversation. Our guest today has been IU women's basketball coach Felicia Leggett-Jack. Coach, thanks for visiting with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, we are glad you joined us, and we're going to let Coach Jack introduce the last bit of music. Well, the, the the second song that is one of my favorites is by Donnie McClurkin, and it's just the one word it is is stand, and the lyrics are, when you've done all you can, and you there's nothing else to do, just stand. And my hope is that when I finish my journey here at Indiana, and this could be 25 years from now, I hope that I can look back and say I left everything out there. I've done all I can do, and I'm proud of the efforts that our kids and, and, and I have done here, and our legacy have been left, and all we have left now to do is just stand. And for WFIU, I'm Owen Johnson. The program you have just heard was recorded in August of 2009. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Pascash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, executive producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.